it's might believe that all Christians, all Bible-believing born-again followers of Yeshua should strive to refute and denounce anti-Semitism, racism, and racial discrimination in any form and shape. What is the relationship between Messianic believers, the Evangelical Church, and how should we understand each other in God's plan for the epicenter? And what's the future for Messianic and Evangelical believers? Hi, and welcome to Inside the Epicenter with Joel Rosenberg, a podcast of the Joshua Fund, a ministry dedicated to blessing Israel and her neighbors in the name of Jesus. I'm Carl Muller, Executive Director of the Joshua Fund, and today, we are talking with noted theologian and scholar, Dr. Egal German, about these and other questions. Joel is writing today, so uh, we're going to be discussing the relationship between Messianic and evangelical believers and how to hold true to biblical truth. Dr. Egal German, welcome to this podcast. Appreciate you being here. Thank you very much, Carl, for inviting me. It's a great privilege and a blessing to spend this hour together here with you and our audience. Well, I know it's going to be a blessing for our audience, as you said, and uh, I would just love for people to understand a little bit of your background. Why don't you, if you could, just take a few minutes and and tell us your personal story. How did, I mean, you're in Chicago right now, so uh, I don't think that's where you're from originally. So maybe you could just share a little bit of uh, your background on on, uh, why we're talking today. Yes, sure. So uh, my name is Igal German, and I'm an Israeli Messianic Jewish believer. A biblical scholar and a Messianic Jewish apologist. I was born in the former Soviet Union, so I speak Russian. I grew up in Israel. That's where I came to faith in Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus Christ. And then the Lord opened the door for me to uh, pursue theological studies in North America, starting actually with um, Israel, my uh, biblical degrees in uh, biblical studies from Haifa University, uh, my bachelor's and master's degrees. And then the Lord opened the door for me to pursue my uh, PhD in theological studies at the University of Toronto. And since 2015, I live in Chicago. I also teach at Moody Theological Seminary and serve as Dr. Michael Brown's Jewish ministry assistant. And um, two years ago, the Lord blessed me to uh, launch a new apologetics ministry called the International Biblical Apologetics Association or the IBAA. Wow. So that's where we came across your material. And uh, I want to just say, you know, it's a, it's a remarkable journey uh, from the Soviet Union, the former Soviet Union area. And uh, I happen to have uh, a personal experience uh, there back in the day uh, with uh, some of the underground churches and various Christian communities there. But you made Aliyah to Israel. And uh, there, did you become a believer in Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus, the Messiah in Israel? Or was it something that you came to Israel uh, with? Mm -hmm. Yes, so it was um, an interesting spiritual journey in my life. So I grew up in a um, semi-traditional Jewish home, not very observant, but with some interest in Jewish tradition. I um, uh, loved to read the Torah as a kid in Israel, and my heart was drawn to God, although I didn't know the truth. Mm. 
So uh, amidst that spiritual search that I had alongside with my parents, uh, we prayed to God, we read from the Siddur, we attended some of the Jewish, um, you know, observant uh, centers in Israel, like the Chabad. Uh, but we found that something is missing, that we are looking for more. We, we, we were searching for the truth. And during that time, there were some people who knocked on, the, on our door and said, uh, do you want to study the Bible with us? And those were two young Russian-speaking Jewish uh, Jehovah's Witnesses. And they said, Let's, let us uh, teach you the Bible. Because, mm. And we said, wow, people are coming to us and they teach us the Bible. It's, so, it's wonderful. And of course, <laughs> we didn't know that we found ourselves in a very dark cult. Mm. And... Um, it was a spiritual journey from uh, traditional Judaism through the Jehovah's Witnesses organization for this local kingdom hall. And then the Lord rescued us from the spiritual darkness. Um, mm. So I've been a member of that group for seven years in Israel as a teenager. And then the Lord uh, spoke into my heart when I was still there and opened my eyes to the truth, to the biblical truth, to the real Yeshua Mm. our Lord and Savior, our God. And uh, from there, I embarked on a spiritual journey of uh, biblical scholarship, uh, theological studies, apologetics, defending the faith against false doctrine and heresies. Yeah. And um, uh, that's basically my, my life story in a well, nutshell. That is, that is a remarkable uh, set of influences. <laughs> you know, family really first encounter with Christianity uh, as, a, as a religion, not just as a, you know, another outside religion, through Jehovah's Witnesses, a, a cult on uh, certainly on a number of issues, really, and that led you into apologetics. So, um, what did you get your uh, your your PhD in? What was the what was the subject matter of that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, I'm a biblical scholar. So my expertise is Hebrew Bible studies, Old Testament studies, Second Temple Judaism, the Jewish context of the New Testament. Uh, my specific area of uh, of my research and my dissertation was on the Book of Genesis, the early chapters on the <laughs> stories of sin. The yeah. narratives of sin, the story of Adam and Eve, the story of Cain and Abel, yeah. Genesis 3 and 4, uh, and it got published as uh, my uh, monograph. Uh, the book is called The Fall Reconsidered. Hmm. You're not reconsidering uh, the fall as a fact, right? I mean, you take the fact seriously. Um, of course. But, but you've looked yes. at it again through uh, basically uh, Jewish eyes and eyes that, uh, that encompass the promises of the gospel. True, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So my whole work is a close uh, literary theological analysis of the Hebrew Masoretic text uh, with uh, an eye on ancient Jewish renderings like the Septuagint, the Targums, uh, other traditions like the Midrashim, uh, Death is Crows. So wow. that's rich pool of history of biblical interpretation, including the church fathers and the Protestant Reformation, and see how we can read those two stories as a unified whole, as one drama unfolding before our eyes as we read scripture. So wow. that is the core idea of my research. Well, I want to go to Israel with you sometime. <laughs> God willing. And I want to walk around and, and uh, hear you dialogue with some of the, uh, some of the rabbis and various others that, that, that do this. It's fascinating to me, and it's really important work. And I'm just so grateful for uh, essentially a young man like yourself uh, to be working on this. It's really impactful. Uh, how has it been received? How are you... Uh, thought of in uh, in different circles in uh, in different places around how is your work received mm -hmm. so in terms of academic work it was uh, received very well in terms of uh, my academic peers scholars uh, people who um, discuss and analyze same biblical texts in terms of uh, ministry of course since the ministry is apologetics it's defending the faith uh, you go and sometimes you need to call out some people and some doctrines. So here we have that spiritual battle in which we, in which each one of us takes some uh, part. So of course, some people 
has a pushback against the ministry, <laughs> against me personally, uh, some anti-Semitic attacks, uh, some aggressive remarks yeah. uh, from different groups, different religious groups. And the reason is because uh, people uh, disagree with God's truth as it is revealed in scripture. But yeah. uh, as believers, we should be ready for that. And uh, we are to rejoice even when we are persecuted for the faith and when we are Amen. mocked. Amen. That's a truth of scripture for sure. But you know, it, it it's also true that if you're liked by everyone, you're probably not saying anything. Uh, so uh, having an opinion and having some insight on this. But uh, you founded the International Biblical Apologetics Association, IBAA. Define that for us. And what is it that you do uh, with the IBAA? Mm -hmm. Yes. So the IBA is a nonprofit uh, organization here in the United States. Uh, it's a registered ministry. And uh, the motto of this ministry is what we read in 1 Peter 3.15. And I will just quote the verse from our Bibles. But in your hearts, regard Christ as the Lord as holy ready at any time to give a defense. And it comes from the word apologia, the Greek word, which means to defend the faith. From here we get the word apologetics. To anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Mm. So the International Biblical Apologetics Association or the IBA desires to equip believers and unite the international faith community to defend against the false doctrines that influence Christian churches as well as Messianic Jewish communities mm. today. So the IBA provides tools and knowledge to advocate for sound biblical doctrine. And we reach out to those trapped in various false doctrines and pseudo-Christian cults. In this ministry, it's not just me. I have a team of other believers who are involved in this ministry. We believe that the Bible is God's word and it's God's living word and should be studied and taught in its ancient context and applied today. Hmm. How do we do that? That's a very important question, right? How? What are the tools? What are the means to achieve the, those goals? So we have the foundational project of IBA is our apologetics declaration, which is available on our website, bibleapologies.org. So through our international apologetics declaration, articles, books, seminar, podcasts, uh, debates, uh, the IBA trains an international uh, movement of leaders, evangelists, and apologists, both Jewish and Gentile, who will bring the gospel to Jews and Gentiles for online media platforms. And the ministry holds in-person prayer rallies, um, stands against anti-Semitism and advocates for Israel. In addition to this, I also offer online live Bible classes. And uh, for those people who want to dig deeper into God's word, yeah. uh, and their students have a unique opportunity to study the Bible in Hebrew. And I offer those classes on the platform of Yesod Bible Center. And my ministry is international. It operates in English, Hebrew, and Russian, and has representatives in America, Canada, Israel, Ukraine, and Germany. And hopefully wow. we'll grow. Well, this would be something then that any pastor or student or just someone curious uh, about how to articulate these things could go online and, and actually uh, sign up for a course and take some thought on this uh, from you and from, I'm sure, others that uh, that you have uh, aligned with. You know, so what are some of the challenges that you see IBAA addressing in today's church? Is, and, and we're going to talk about the difference between the sort of evangelical church we're very familiar with in America and then the Messianic congregations, both in America and Israel, and, and how they relate to each other. But what are some of the challenges that you see that the IBAA is, is really designed to address? 
Exactly. That's that's a very important question. So uh, there are many theological concerns and as well as practical concerns that I personally notice as a messenger's believer. Um, I've attended v- various churches. I came to faith in an Israeli uh, messianic brethren assembly. And then I've been to a variety of the other uh, denominations, including Baptist, Pentecostal, Charismatic. I've seen a variety of theological perspectives and interact with people from different backgrounds. I have no problem with that. I love you know, uh, offering an opportunity to share perspective, to listen and wait in light of scripture. So I'm not a judgmental person or trying to attack persons. That's not my approach at all in principle and specifically in apologetics. But what I see, uh, Carol, that there are many uh, spiritual issues that are not addressed even by scholars as well as by pastors. For example, I can just list a number of uh, key issues that I notice uh, in, in the past couple of years. I see more and more believers who deny the inerrancy and inspiration of Scripture. Mm. And there are different variations of that approach. And I think that's quite dangerous because if we don't believe in Scripture, what else can we believe? If that's not the foundation for our faith and our uh, doctrine, is there any other foundation? And it applies to both the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament. Another very dangerous trend that I see that is um, growing in the church today, particularly in the North American evangelical church, is that what they call Marcionism. Uh, so that's the Marcionite ancient heresy just taking on some new forms and some new names. But essentially, it's a rejection of the inspiration or even the belittling of the importance of the book of the Tanakh, of the Hebrew scriptures. Mm-hmm. And some even Christians... Uh, believe today that we have some kind of a dualistic doctrine, like there are two different gods, yeah. the angry, punishing God of the Old Testament and the uh, nice, uh, kind Loving, God, gracious the name God. of Jesus yeah. Yeah, in the New Testament, right? But I think it's really, it, it contradicts the entire scripture. It contradicts yeah. church, church history and sound theology. Mm. That would be the second issue. Some others, uh, now within the Messianic movement, I see that uh, there is a lot of confusion within the Messianic movement of how you should evaluate scripture versus tradition. And you have a lot of very rich Jewish library, right? Uh, thousands of years, and there's some good insights and there's some important historical things that we do learn from it. And I'm not trying to say that we don't need all of that, but we need to discern and to distinguish between inspiration of scripture and any other post-biblical uh, documents or uh, pieces of literature, for example, apocryphal books, Talmud, Midrashim, patristic writings. And mm-hmm. then we have that kind of a problem because people sometimes are confused and they take those texts as inspirational, just like the Bible. Mm. So keep that's them on where par with scripture. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. Right. Another key issue that I see is in particularly among Messianic Jews and people who are related, uh, who are in the Hebrew roots uh, camp, uh, denial of Yeshua's full divinity. So uh, we see that more and more uh, even noted uh, teachers and leaders say that maybe Yeshua is not really God. Maybe he's not really the God of Israel. He's not Yahweh, but mm. just a man who was elevated by the God of Israel. So that I see sounds like problem Jehovah's Witness to me, actually. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly right. So, yeah. but, but of course, the JWs, they have their own variation of that uh, false doctrine because they yeah. say that Jesus Christ is Michael the Archangel. Right. So they have their own variation, which is another heretical doctrine. Uh, But uh, even among Messianics and people with the Hebrew roots, we see issues with that. And honestly, there are some evangelicals who start doubting who Jesus is, what is the identity of of the Son of God. Okay. In addition to this, I see a variety of uh, forms of pseudo-spirituality. For example, uh, the occult, paganism, Mm. in both Judaism and Christianity, both within the evangelical church and Messianic Judaism. For example, the Kabbalah, 
Yes. Uh, yeah, I was going to mention that, some of the, uh, you know, Hollywood stars who have uh, said this is really the secret. Uh, but talk about that for a second. Yes, yes, exactly. So, for example, we see uh, those ancient agnostic elements reappearing, resurfacing in new religious forms. For example, the Kabbalah, it's a knowledge of kind of the, of the mysterious God. And then there are 10 emanations from God in Hebrew. It's called Esarasfirot, which is not in the Bible. It's nowhere in scripture and it has nothing to do with God's mysteries that are mentioned in, in the Bible. So we see a lot of confusion, especially within the Messianic movement, in particular, the Russian speaking wing of the Messianic movement. It's a big mess. What wow. is going on there theologically? Uh, we have uh, you know, prayer to the saints, astrology, Scientology, the teachings of the new age and different ways how they infiltrate into the church today. Uh, different forms of alternative medicine on a lot of spiritual darkness in the body of Christ these days. Another theological deviation, uh, which is, is really dangerous, is supersessionism or replacement theology. Yeah. And there are different names. Now, many people, they know that it doesn't sound right and they say fulfillment theology. But again, it's just a different rap for the same idea, replacement yeah. theology, basically an idea according to which the church has replaced Israel, the Jewish people, and they have lost their status as God's chosen people. Yeah. Uh, we see an increase in Christian anti-Semitism, especially here in America. It's so sad to see mm. very hostile attitude towards the Jewish people, even I would say some kind of a demonization of, of the Jewish people. Mm. And another um, issue that I would like to highlight in our conversation is the denial of the Jewish roots of the Christian faith. I see this as another dangerous trend that is uh, very popular in the church today. Well, speaking on that for just a quick second, and we just have a couple minutes here before I need to take a break and uh, we'll come back to look at more about the nature of, of the questions that we've raised. But you know, let's ask a little bit about that last point there, the uh, the nature of what this is implicating for the church and how does the church, you know, kind of come to terms with that? Yes, Carl. And I see that there is a lot of compromise in the body of Christ as well as within the Messianic Jewish movement. And whenever you try to rogue the boat, you get a pushback. And in my mm. own uh, ministry, I got pushback from some uh, noted leaders within the Messianic movement. And the reason is because I speak the truth from scripture and they don't like to hear it and they just go head in head. And instead of embracing and supporting, yeah. they want to uh, put you down. And that's so sad to see that, that this is happening within even uh, the Messianic Jewish movement. Yeah. So again, um, I'm not saying that all Messianic leaders are compromising the biblical truth, not all. And the same applies to pastors. There's wonderful and faithful men of God, mm -hmm. praise be to God. But at the same time, I see that there are many important questions that are not being discussed, are not being studied. And um, that's why I felt the need to uh, create this new apologetics ministry, the IBA, the International Biblical Apologetics Association. Well, Dr. Gall, thank you. Uh, we're going to take a break right here, but uh, we're going to come back and we're going we're gonna to talk about this relationship uh, between Jewish believers and Messiah, between evangelical believers. What does the Bible say? Uh, and we're going we're gonna to bring more of these things to the front because I know it's fascinating to hear, especially from someone who's actually lived uh, that journey as you have. So uh, we'll be back in just a minute. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. 
I'm here with spokesman John Wolf. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Our verse of the day today is found in Romans chapter 11, verses 17 to 18. If some of the branches have been broken off and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. And our prayer requests today are, number one, pray that the truth of God's word continues to prevail worldwide, especially in the epicenter. And second, Pray that God raises up more people who are willing to stand for the gospel and will teach others the truth. Well, we're back with Dr. Egal German, noted scholar, someone who has taken his own journey, but also extended it to study the, the nature of what the Bible says about Jewish believers in Messiah, about uh, Christians uh, from evangelical backgrounds and others. And Dr. Egal, I want to ask you about this because I think it's really important. What does the Bible say about Jewish believers in Messiah, both in the past, in the current moment, present, and what it says about them in the future? Yeah, that's a very good question, Carol. And there, of course, we can uh, distinguish between Israel as a nation, which includes non-believing Jews, and then we have the remnant of Israel. So just a few words about uh, the place of Israel in God's agenda now and in the future. And then I can uh, zoom in on the remnant of Israel. So according to scripture, we see very clearly that the Jewish people are still God's chosen and are loved by God. And we could bring many biblical references. There are a couple, for example, Romans 11, 11, 11, 12, 11, 25, 29, and that's from the New Testament. Uh, we know that according to scripture, God placed Jerusalem in the center of the nations, and he's still actively working both with Jewish people in the diaspora and the land of Israel. And there are two important biblical verses that I would like to highlight in this respect from the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel 5, 5 and Ezekiel eleven sixteen. It's my belief that all Christians, all Bible-believing, born-again followers of Yeshua should strive to refute and denounce anti-Semitism, mm -hmm. racism, and racial discrimination in any form and shape, mm -hmm. as well as to pray for the salvation of Israel and the peace in Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. And I believe that Israel still has a future as an ethnic group. At the end of the age, all Israel that will see the crucified and glorified Yeshua, Hamashiach, will repent. They will recognize him as their Messiah, Zechariah 12.10. They will be saved and accepted by God into the new covenantal relationship. Hmm. And now just a few words about the remnant of Israel. And that's a wonderful topic. I love teaching and discussing this. And thank you for asking. So the remnant of Israel is supposed to be, biblically speaking, the elder brother of the family. Mm -hmm. So we see that the role of the elder brother is firstborn son, is to unify the extended family. So 
all Messianic Jews should embrace the call of John 17, the prayer of Yeshua for unity, as well as embrace our own calling as the Romans 11 remnant. So Romans 11 verses 1 through 5 is, the, is one of the key biblical passages which teach about the remnant of Israel. So we see that in Romans 11, 1 through 5, Paul is comparing the situation of his day with that of Elijah's. The, mm-hmm. the story is recorded in the Hebrew Bible, 1 Kings 19. And the point is, is to prove that God had not rejected Israel in his day. So just as God had reserved to himself a remnant of faithful Israelites in Elijah's days, so he reserved for himself at the present time a remnant according to God's gracious choice, Romans 11.5. In addition, it's important to uh, understand uh, that this divine election means that we have responsibility, right? Anything that comes from God, it means it's grace, it's God's love, it's him reaching out to, to us first, but at the same time, he expects us to take our part in it, okay? Mm-hmm. So I believe that now each believers from the Gentile states should recognize that they're grafted into the olive tree, which is essentially the remnant of Israel. So mm-hmm. they, they are now not just becoming Christians. They're not just uh, turning to God, but they should turn also to the people of Israel through the remnant of Israel. Hmm. And um, I love the example of the story of Ruth, the Moabite, right? Just like she said to Naomi, Ruth chapter 1, verse 16, she said, my God will be your God, right? Your people will be my people. And I think that is so lacking today in the body of Christ. Hmm. That Gentile Christians, they should recognize that they are affiliating themselves with God's people, with the remnant of Israel. And I think that is so important. So why do you think that the supersessionism, or to put the terminology more at the popular level, uh, replacement theology uh, has taken uh, so many denominations, uh, really it's become the dominant strain of thought in some denominations that Israel has been replaced by the church. Why is that? Why do people think that's the case? There are many reasons, Carl. Uh, there are spiritual reasons. I would say there are historical reasons. And then there are subcategories to each one of them, spiritual and historical. And I think we should start with the spiritual. And the spiritual is that there is some kind of internal stronghold that many Christians carry in their lives, and they inherited it right from their church tradition. And I think it has to do with the fact that for many Christians, their life and their understanding of faith of Yeshua and the gospel is not really grounded in the Bible. It's not really grounded in God's word. They choose and pick what they like from scripture. They choose their verses. They choose their own ideas, but they don't have a holistic understanding of the counsel of God. Mm. And we should remember that Paul said on numerous occasions that he preached the whole counsel of God we see it in the book of Acts, for example. And that's what we are supposed to do today. So, and as a result of, of lack of discipleship, I would say, lack of teaching, there aren't many churches and believers that are defending the faith. So I would say that there are numerous reasons that we see that they are ready to accept any spiritual idea, even if it's mm. not biblical, if it's, not, it's counter-scriptural. Mm. So I think that uh, supersessionism is among those uh, doctrines that are, strongly embedded in the minds of so many Christians. And it takes really hard work to get them unlearned Hmm. and actually get back on the track of scriptural truth. I mean, and, you know, obviously we, we endorse that, you know, that the replacement of Israel is nowhere found in scripture. God's covenantal promises, as Joel said, don't disappear. It's just not the way he operates, nor would 
we have confidence in a God that withdraws his promises sort of randomly. I mean, I, I don't know what kind of basis our faith would have if, if that was God's nature, if we disobeyed and, and uh, fell away, that God would say, okay, well, you're done. There's no hope for you. I think there's a lot to be learned in this understanding. Tell me how you see in the most positive future, possibly, evangelical believers from Christian backgrounds and, and others, Messianic believers working together. Uh, I think like in the, the final kingdom of God, we will all be one <laughs> and the unity of the body will be evident to all. But, but in a spiritual sense, we're already one body, but we do have these different expressions. Talk a little bit about where you see these things going in the future and, and what, what's the best possible way for us to look forward to creating a future and what would that look like? Yeah, um, excellent questions. So on the one hand, uh, we see the fulfillment of uh, the prophecy of Second Thessalonians chapter 2, that prior to the arrival of the final Antichrist, the man of lawlessness, there will be apostasy in the church. There will be that fallout from the church. So, And that is happening right in our time. Okay, that's the reality. So we see a lot of spiritual apostasy taking place. And I'm not even speaking about the different cults that are inherently uh, in that spiritual state of uh, just teaching falsehoods about Scripture and about God. But I'm speaking about even the the, the, the church, you know, the, the evangelical church, the Bible-believing Christians. So there is that apostasy taking place. And, uh, and we see that the, the spirit of the Antichrist is at work. And we know that it hasn't started today. It was for centuries like that. And even in the New Testament, we read about different antichrists that uh, emerged in the in the early apostolic church. So that is kind of not big news for us. So I see that we will, uh, that is my understanding that I do anticipate greater waves of apostasy to be seen in the church. On the other hand, I do see a very positive a trend uh, within, I would say, some kind of a remnant within the church. And it's not the remnant of Israel, it's the remnant of Gentile believers, Christians within the body of Christ. So I see that there are some faithful believers, there are some faithful pastors, leaders, and theologians who are thinking outside of the box, okay, who are not just following that old traditional path of what they call uh, of uh, their denominations. So I think that while I'm not an ecumenical believer, I don't think that all religions need to be united. It's not my belief at all. Uh, but I do think that uh, we need to strive for unity in the body of Christ. And the remnant of Israel, those faithful Messianic Jews, as well as those faithful believers, remnant of believers from the wider church, they need to get together. They need to work together. They need to leave behind all their uh, minor theological differences because we see that there is a lot of lack of unity because, you know, each church, you know, declares that they know the truth and no one else knows the truth, though. But, but there are biblical questions, theological questions and practical questions that should not divide us, okay? And we, instead of actually uh, growing apart, we should minister together. We should labor together for the kingdom of God. And that is really my calling. And I believe, Carol, that is the reason that I'm so passionate about my new apologetics ministry, the IBAA. Is The idea is to unite Jews and Gentiles in Yeshua, in his truth. And while we can still have some theological differences, that is fine. We have the foundation and the foundation is scripture. So that's how I see it. I think that's so admirable. And it's so um, remarkably 
untapped in today's world. You know, that, that there are so few working for this sort of peace and unity in the body. Most are exploiting differences to their own personal or political or social agendas to, uh, to put somebody down. Um, I do have this question and it, it really gets to the practical level. So if, if, if I'm an evangelical and I was raised an evangelical, I have, as far as I know, no Jewish background or connection, but I'm fascinated by and love and have a deep uh, respect for the Jewish calendar, the feasts, the traditions. Uh, and yet I know that my salvation doesn't rest on those. And obviously I, I have no thing. How, how do you see the integration at a practical level between messianic practice in biblical terms and uh, evangelical church life? How do, how do you see those things working together? What can we learn from each other and what can we benefit from each other? Yes, and, and I believe a lot in many, many ways, uh, mutual ways, uh, both messianic Jews and evangelicals can benefit from uh, cooperation for collaboration, and that is really lacking in the body of Christ today. Practically speaking, I think it has to do with a proper uh, education, with discipleship, holding prayers for the nation of Israel, holding rallies, preaching, teaching, uh, educating the body of Christ. I don't think that many American Christians are aware of the challenges that many Israeli Messianic Jews face in their daily life. There are yeah. many challenges. Yeah. It's so it's it's really difficult to be a Messianic Jew in modern Israel. Yeah. And um, I think there are so many things that, that, that needs to be discussed, uh, so many things that shouldn't go under the rug, but that is happening so often because people are afraid to speak out. Yeah. Even Christians, sometimes I see, and they're under that kind of same spirit of the woke culture. Hmm. Don't speak out. Don't say, just be quiet. And they just want to mute you, to censor you. That's so wrong. So it's really my passion and my heart to see Messianic Jews and evangelical Christians dialoguing with each other, trying to bridge bridges, trying to understand what we can do in order to promote the work of the gospel for the Jewish people in the diaspora as well as in the land of Israel. So the other important area is a theological scholarship. I think that uh, in the area of theological scholarship, that is so lacking how both Messianic Jewish scholars, biblical scholars and theologians, as well as uh, evangelical Christians can work together in order to um, overcome different barriers, even theological barriers. In addition to this, um, I think that uh, real public outreach is something that should be done as well. You know, just go out on the streets and preach the gospel. Just, Just do that. Okay, we don't see this happening very often. We see here and there one street preacher, yeah. you know, with his microphone shouting, and but we don't see a movement of Bible believers going out and preaching the gospel, even Preach here it. in America or in Canada. That should take place. Amen. Instead, we see people who are from the cults, and they're much more active in uh, their missionary work mm-hmm. when they try to go out and declare their ideas. However, they are so much in contradiction to Scripture. Boy. Boy, that is so true. And it's a, it should be a shame to us to encounter people who don't have the truth, and yet they are so passionate about proclaiming uh, their own version of, of that message, and that's, that's a cultic viewpoint. I've got to ask you a question, because evangelism, you brought it up, is one of the most difficult concepts in Israel. Uh, I think, as you know, we, you mentioned, you know, Messianic believers get persecuted in Israel, and that would be a shock to many American evangelicals. And yet we've talked about it here numerous times about 
about how uh, believers in Yeshua HaMashiach, it's really, uh, in some parts of Israel, uh, sort of the worst thing you can you can be. I mean, you could be an atheist and be better treated by society than being a follower of Jesus. What do you think about evangelism, number one, in Israel? How should that be pursued? And and I'm I'm also taking a bit of a, an assumption here. Some evangelicals have gone to the degree of saying, well, the Bible says all Israel will be saved, so we don't have to do evangelism in Israel. What's your perspective on that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Carl. So, uh, the perspective that you just, uh, articulated is what we, what is known as dual covenant theology. Yeah. And I think dual covenant theology runs contrary to scripture. And it's so clear, even from Romans chapter one, verse 16, it says that the gospel should be preached to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. Yes. So what can you do with God's word? It tells you that you should go preach God's word to the Jew first. There is God's priority, right? Mm. So with, with this in mind, we see that uh, of course, we should preach the gospel to the Jewish people in Israel and elsewhere. There are many challenges, just like uh, we understand persecution or pressures, political pressure, spiritual uh, misunderstanding. But what is really lacking in my understanding in Israeli Jewish evangelism is lack of training. Mm. So many local congregations there, they don't have the training. Yeah. And the training includes you know, knowledge of what the gospel is, what is the Besoratova in Hebrew, the good news. Mm-hmm. But alongside that, we have to also uh, teach them how to answer different objections to Yeshua, even from the religious sector of the mm-hmm. Israeli population, right? And there you have to be really knowledgeable and you, you need to be equipped with knowledge and tools. And that is why so many thousands of Israeli believers, both uh, Israelis, you know, uh, that were born there, uh, Russian speaking, uh, Arab Christians, they don't know how to do that. They don't have the knowledge and the tools. Yeah. And I think that is what is so important to teach, to train, to equip them in order for them to go out and without fear and compromise, declare the good news of Yeshua. And again, it's not that now they, uh, we are trying to convert them to Christianity. It's right. not the case at all. They are Jews and I am a Jew. I never ceased to be a Jew when I came to faith in Yeshua. But the point here is this, they are called back to the God of Israel through his son, Yeshua, as we see it in scripture, fulfilling the messianic prophecies of the first coming and the future messianic prophecies to be yet fulfilled. So uh, Israeli Jewish evangelism is an important work. You know, evangelical Christians should be aware of it. They should support it. They should bless it. And uh, this is one of the reasons why my ministry operates not only in English here for the American audience, but also in Russian and Hebrew so yeah. that we can reach both the non-believers and the believers and to equip them with the knowledge and the tools that they are needing so much. Wow. Well, I have to tell you what a what a pleasure it's been to hear about your work, the way you articulate uh, so forcefully the biblical viewpoint that, you know, we are, we are one body, the Messianic believers, evangelical believers, uh, we are one body in, in uh, Yeshua. And uh, it's a remarkable encouragement to those of us that do pray for Israel, that pray for a blessing on Israel and the neighbors and the nations through Israel, uh, that there's no inconsistency here, that this is a clear uh, understanding of what scripture teaches. And Dr. German, I'm I'm grateful for the time that you've spent, you know, outlining uh, uh, your work uh, at IBAA, uh, the 
International Biblical Apologetic Association. Uh, I want to make sure I get that right. It's not uh, a name that trips off my tongue very easily. Maybe it's easier said in Hebrew or uh, or uh, Russian, but uh, uh, it, it's it's a really important uh, work that's being done. And you're mobilizing evangelical believers, messianic believers in Israel and in other countries and in the U.S. to come together and to uh, really work together uh, for this this work. And, uh, and we want to bless you and thank you that uh, you've given us some really wonderful insights. Are there some other things that you'd love to share with our listeners before we have to uh, sign off for this time? Yes, yes. Um, I would uh, encourage uh, our audience to check out my website. It's BibleApologist.org. Uh, the ministry is growing. And uh, with, the, with the growth of the ministry, there are many needs to be yet fulfilled. And uh, there are projects. Uh, one of the projects that I'm working on right now is writing a book in Hebrew. Uh, specifically unmasking the cults in Israel um, wow. with an emphasis on the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Seventh-day Adventists. Wow. Uh, both groups are very active in Israel and uh, they have thousands of members. And the Messianic movement, unfortunately, hasn't done much to counter them, uh, just well, turning a blind eye. As many of us know and have experienced firsthand, much of the Jewish population of Israel considers any Messianic believer member of a cult. And uh, and so it, it's it's probably an incredibly needed resource for general use in Israel for people to distinguish between the cults in the minds of of typical Israelis. So that's exactly that's, exactly that's fantastic. Right, 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 right. So it's a big project. Uh, it's my actually third year. I'm still working on it, and then uh, God willing, we will have it published in Israel and then translated to um, Russian and English. And we will need to create a, an outreach website for the people who are trapped in those cults. There are many other projects that um, I'm working on right now. There are uh, new t- uh, two new brochures that my team and I were able to produce just very recently. One is on the Messianic prophecy of Isaiah 53, uh, which includes rabbinic uh, commentaries, which say that Isaiah 53 is about the Messiah. So it will be a track for free distribution. And another one is called uh, Is Replacement Theology Biblical? Mm. Another brochure. So a lot of work is done. And uh, I encourage uh, my dear brothers and sisters to pray for IBA ministries as well as support us financially because there are many needs for the ministry. And um, the ministry has a great potential of growth here in America, in Israel, and other countries. Well, so God bless you all, and I would love to hear from you. Well, we we are blessed by your words today and, uh, and just your heart and your passion for uh, God's word and God's people and, uh, and just doing that in such a, a winsome way. So thank you. Dr. Kerman. And uh, uh, for our listeners, if you'd like to learn more about the Joshua Fund, you can visit our website at joshuafund.com. And there you can learn about what we're doing in the Middle East to bless Israel and her neighbors in the name of Jesus, and how you can participate in the healing work we're doing in this critical region. And as always, check out our show notes for anything you heard on the podcast you'd like more information on. For Joel Rosenberg, I'm Carl Muller. Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Epicenter. Hi, this is Joel Rosenberg, founder and chairman of the Joshua Fund, and I've got exciting news. In 2023, I'm inviting you, on behalf of our entire board and staff, to come to the Holy Land, to come to Israel on the next Prayer and Vision Tour. This is the 75th anniversary of the prophetic rebirth 
of the modern state of Israel back in 1948. And what is God doing here? It's amazing, spiritually, economically, in so many ways. There's been so much growth, so much progress, but the best is yet to come. And we want you to see it. We want you to walk where Jesus walked. We want you to see where the apostles ministered. We want you to see where people's lives were transformed by the love of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. We want you to see this city where Jesus died and rose again and where he's coming back, I hope soon. But in the meantime, come to Israel with the Joshua Fund. You can learn more about the trip, the itinerary, the cost, all the details at joshuafund.com. But sign up quickly because I think this thing is going to fill up fast. The Prayer and Vision Tour of Israel in the fall of 2023. I hope to see you there. This is Perseus Poku, host of the Sound Reasoning Ministry podcast. Learn how to share and defend your faith by listening to us weekly. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com.